You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode 33 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Carusco. Carusco is a three-piece indie rock band from Texas that long to find a way out of darkness and reach toward hope. They will be on tour this winter to promote their latest release, Wake. For dates, tickets, music, and more, please check out caruscomusic.com. That's C-O-R-U-S-C-O music.com. You can also check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Carusco Music. Now here it is, their new single, New Year. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians. 
everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, this is Mike from the All-American Rejects, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Hello and welcome to episode number 33 of that one time on tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with someone in or around the music industry. We are back from the hiatus. Thank you guys so much for sticking with me and all the well wishes for my daughter, all the emails and the calls. She's doing great. She's about three weeks out from surgery and she's healing wonderfully and she's acting like nothing ever happened. So thank you guys so much. It's been a little stressful around here, but thank are getting back to normal. You know, we got the holidays coming up, so uh, I'm hoping the podcast isn't going to be as spotty as it has been lately, but uh, I'm going to do my best to get some good content out there for you guys. Uh, Today, I get to sit down with my buddy, Mike Kennerty from the All-American Rejects. Uh, We had a wonderful conversation. We talked about all kinds of cool stuff. You guys are really going to enjoy that. Before I get into my conversation with Mike, I do need to tell you about Sticker Wolf. Sticker Wolf is a wonderful sponsor of the show. They did the logo for the show. They're doing a logo currently for my rock and roll summer camp, which is like my workshop for kids that I have that we, we play music and have all kinds of fun. But uh, Sticker Wolf's a great, great place. So if you guys need stickers done, hit them up at StickerWolf.com. You can also check them out on all of the social media platforms at StickerWolf and tell them that Chris from TOTOT sent you. You know the drill. I've got to tell you about Rockabilia.com. They're still on as a sponsor. They're our longest running sponsor. Frankie over there at Rockabilia is a great dude. Shout out to Frankie. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do it without you, man. So uh, yeah, check out rockabilia.com. They are your one-stop shop for everything band merch related. You want a Misfits shirt? They've got it. You want a Blondie shirt? They've got it. You want a Morrissey shirt? They've got it. They've got anything that you want. Christmas is coming up, and I know that if I opened up a big package from Rockabilia on Christmas morning... I would be stoked. So go do all your Christmas shopping at Rockabilia and at checkout, put in the promo code PCTOTOT and it's going to save you 15% on your entire order. So uh, go to Rockabilia.com and check it out. Okay, make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT podcast. If you want to become a sponsor or you just want to talk to me, hit me up, TOTOT podcast at gmail.com. You can also call the TOTOT hotline that is is one seven six five three seven two eight eight one eight. So I'm going to get into my conversation with Mike here in one second. I just want to once again thank everybody for the kind words and the well wishes and everything with my daughter. It was a really stressful time, but we are doing amazing. Christmas is coming up. Super stoked. So uh, I'm really, really glad to have all of you in my life. And thank you very much for letting me hang out with you. If you're on your way to work or if you're just like hanging out at home or whatever, I'm glad that I'm a part of your life and I'm glad you're a part of mine. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to jump right into my conversation with Mike Kennerty from the All-American Rejects. And I'm on the line with Mike Kennedy from the All-American Rejects. How you doing, Mike? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, I'm, I'm really stoked to have you on. I've, uh, I've been on a small hiatus, and it's really nice to be back with episode 33 and then have you on the show, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, man. So um, what I'd like to do at the beginning, I always do this with all of my guests, I, I want to know how you got into music. Like we're all in music for one reason or another. Like what was your first musical experience? What made you really want to play guitar or be in a band? What was it for you? Um, well, going back to when I was super young, I was always into music. Like I can remember being four and we got a new cable box. And the first thing my dad, did, it was like before remote controls and they just had a dial on it. And the first thing my dad did was show me what MTV was And, uh, so I've always been obsessed with music and like the first record I ever bought was when I was five, I borrowed five bucks from my brother to buy destroyer by kiss. Wow. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I was always always like a music kid, but uh, I didn't start playing until middle school. And uh, I think like a lot of people, like the appeal of punk rock made me feel like, hey, I, I can maybe do this. How and, did you uh, get into punk rock being from Oklahoma? Because I know growing up in Indiana, for me, like I had to seek it out. Like what was the way you got into it? Well, at that time I was living in Houston, uh, but it was, you know, I was, I was kind of aware of things cause like, you know, like I'd seen, I want to be sedated when that video was on MTV and like, I knew of the sex pistols and stuff. And, uh, so when, um, you know, when Nirvana happened and grunge was a thing, that was kind of the first, like I'd been into like metal and hard rock and stuff. And then that kind of started leading me down to the, you know, the narrow straits of punk. And, uh, I, my brother actually had a friend who had left his cassettes over one night and he had the first Ramones and the sex pistols record. And those were kind of like, I sat down with both of those. And I was like, Oh shit, this is punk. And, uh, uh, and so that was, that was kind of my gateway probably like around sixth grade. So when did you start playing guitar? Did you say, um, I didn't start playing cause I actually tried to play drums at first, but I never was all that great. Um, and I picked up guitar probably around seventh or eighth grade and just kind of went from there. Well, that's awesome. Did you take like formal lessons or did you just teach yourself? Yeah. Just like, you know, my, the guitar player in the band that I was playing drums in, like he would leave his guitar over and I would just try stuff on it. And then he'd come back over and be like, dude, just, here's a power chord. <laughs> and so it was like, all right, I learned a power chord and then I would just try to go from there. Yeah. Once you learn a power chord, you're kind of, you're off to the races, man. You can do kind of anything you want, right? Exactly. I was writing terrible songs left and right. <laughs> so when did you end up moving to Oklahoma? Um, that was about mid high school. Uh, my dad got a job here and, uh, moved here and, uh, I love it. I, I haven't left. My family moved back to Texas and I stayed. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. So you, you met the guys from all American rejects in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the two guys who started the band, Nick and Tyson, they, uh, they're from Stillwater, which is like college town, probably like an hour from where I live in Oklahoma city. How did, how did that all come about? Like, I, I know I was doing some research and you're, you know, considered an original member, but you didn't actually come on board until they already kind of had things going on. Correct. Yeah, it was, you know, it started, with them it's you know, it's any high school band and, uh, eventually other people dropped out to where it was just them two left and they just were still writing songs together and, uh, yeah, kind of just doing it as a two piece for a while and started getting some attention because they write fucking amazing songs. And, uh, yeah, my band played with their band and eventually they're like sick of being a two piece playing with the drum machine. And, uh, filled it back out into a full band again. And that's when I came on. It's like right around the time, uh, the first album had just been finished recording and then I joined. And that was so on, before. that was on Doghouse records, correct? Yeah. See, that's what I wanted to get to this because when, uh, I was thinking the other day, I was, we were chatting back and forth when we were discussing this, this podcast and, uh, my first band I was ever in this little punk band called chronic chaos. We played a show with you guys. I still have the flyer in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Emerson theater. And it was you guys, us and motion city soundtrack. I'm not sure what year it was, but you guys, they, oh, yeah. they were telling, I mean, I don't know if I even talked to you. I was talking to Tyson or somebody like it was the story of doghouse records, how like Snoop dog actually had to send them money or something because he tried to have a doghouse records. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I hadn't heard about that. There was somebody, oh, on, somebody on tour with you guys that was telling my merch guy. And then I sat down and listened to it as well. It was like the guy that owned Doghouse has like a signed check from Snoop Dogg because he had the rights to the name and Snoop tried to take it. That's amazing. I mean, maybe I'd heard that and just had forgotten, but that's a, that is a good story. And I, de I definitely believe it. Well, I just remember that show. Like we were, we weren't huge or anything. We were in this area of Indiana. We were a decent sized band and you guys were on tour with Motion City Soundtrack. And it had to have been an early tour because there was probably only a hundred people at the show. I'm, I mean, I'm surprised there were that many. What for my memories of that tour, that was, uh, yeah, we did. I think that was 2002 late 2002. It was pretty. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I still have not found the flyer yet, but when I find the flyer, I'll send you a picture of it. 
Yeah, there was, I think we did, that was the first time we'd met them and we ended up touring with them probably more than any other band. Uh, and yeah, we did like five or six shows and like just to some summarize how bad it was. Like there was one show we played in, uh, oh man, where was that? Somewhere in the like upper Midwest and literally not only did no one show up, the sound guy didn't even show up. Yeah. And the guys at the bar were just like, yeah, I think everyone just forgot that there was a show. So we'll give you guys free drinks if you just want to hang out. <laughs> and so the show didn't even happen. That's how much no one gave a shit. Were you guys <laughs> Were you guys getting any kind of tour support from the label or was this just all bare bones DIY kind of thing? Yeah, it was still very bare bones. Um, There's we so just- many, so many stories of like, you know, when I've been on tour as well back in the day, it's, you know, you show up and you kind of have to make that decision. Well, do we play for the bartender or do we, <laughs> or do we just go on to the next show? You know, exactly. And I always, and, I mean, we always kind of took it in stride. We'd play for the bartender because who knows the bartender might buy a record. Yeah, totally. And no, and we probably would have, but they were like, there's no one to even turn the PA on. So yeah. you can't play. <laughs> and, but it was great. Cause that was actually the night that we really kind of bonded with motion city. We hung out and like, you know, those guys are now like lifelong friends that I, I still love and talk to. I know you guys did uh, a tour or two with Avail. I think I was reading something on the internet. How did that go? I mean, I don't really, I can see you guys fitting together, but like, I mean, I've always been a huge Avail fan. I'm sure you are probably as well. Cause we seem like we have similar backgrounds, but how was it touring with those guys back in the day? That was insane. Cause that was, yeah. Like I was a huge fan and it was like, one of those, it, we had just gotten like our first like real booking agent. And that was like one of the first tours we got offered. And so I was like, holy shit, that's insane. And, uh, but what was funny was we'd actually, the right before that, that was actually the second tour we'd gotten offered. The first one we got was opening for CKY <laughs> and we did that. And it was the most miserable experience. I mean, it was fun touring regardless, but like they were just complete fucking pricks. And oh, yeah. <laughs> tre- they're awful. Like treated us. T- it was really weird because it's like, why did you even like have us on the tour if you hate us so much? Yeah, because you, don't you, you would think it? you would think like CKY because of, you know, Viva La Bam and Jackass and all that stuff. They got fairly large pretty quickly and they had a lot to do with picking the bands. I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, if they didn't like you guys, why the hell did they have you on the tour? Yeah. And it was definitely the height of that. I mean, they were like big shows and uh, like they would go as far as their guitar player would come and stand on our merch table after the shows and then tell kids not to buy our shit. And we're like, what the fuck, man? Uh, But then eventually we got sick of it and we just didn't give a fuck anymore. And there was like one night while they were playing, uh, we ran out of beer and the guys in my band took their beer and just like, fuck it, fuck them. Who cares? And then, uh, driving to the show the next day, we got a call from their tour manager. It's like, don't show up to the next show unless you want to be dead. <laughs> and we're like, all right, cool. So we got kicked off that tour. And then the next thing was we got offered a veil, which I was stoked about, but I was also scared of that. They would fucking, well, because hate us the too. one thing you've got to think of, like, I don't know how were CKY's fans to you guys. Cause I would think that maybe some of the old school avail fans might not really dig the sound of your band either. So it's, yeah, it's a scary kind of thing, right? Totally. And I think I was more worried about that with avail because CKY was such a, you know, popular because of the MTV stuff. So it was a more general crowd that the, the crowds were always pretty good to us on those shows. But yeah, I knew Avail would be like, you know, I, I grew up a punk rock kid, so I know how snobby and fucking, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, not accepting those kids would be. And, but, uh, you know, I, the tour was fine. Like, I, I don't remember anything negative about crowds at that on that tour, but Avail as people were fucking amazing and the coolest guys and the antithesis to what CKY were. And just those guys taught us such a lesson about how you treat the bands you take on tour. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. And what was cool is that tour was, uh, it was Avail, Hey Mercedes, and then this band called The Curse, which was Dave Haas's band before Loved Ones. And so it was just this amazing fucking tour for me, like just getting to watch these bands. Like uh, it was, it was awesome. It was definitely a life, once in a lifetime kind of thing for me. 
now, now that we're talking about, you know, how you guys were perceived by certain punk rock fans or whatnot. Now, like the stuff that I've seen on your Instagram or whatever, like, you know, the descendants are one of your favorite bands and you're talking about a veil and talking about, you know, Ramones and all these different bands. When you joined the band, was it kind of like just a job for you or were you really into what was going on with the band? I just always wondered that. No, I was, I was super into it. Uh, cause you know, like I am like a punk rock kid, but I'm also, I've never been, you know, overtly snobby. Like I just like good songs too, Yeah, you know? And, uh, those guys, it was just, you know, it was also just this thing of like, there's these other guys from Oklahoma who are writing songs that sound like real songs. And then they're recorded sounding like real songs and they're actually doing shit. And it was just like all this stuff that was just like, holy shit. Like, you know, uh, everything about it was like, I was so on board, you know, like they did, they were doing everything right. And it was everything I wanted to be doing. And then like, I got this like blessing of them asking me to join them. So like, I was, I was still definitely not just like a job thing. It was like a, holy shit, this is, this is everything I want kind of thing. Well, I mean, myself, I've always been like, you know, punk rock like you and I always was into metal, but I always, you know. I didn't listen to a lot of like poppier punk stuff, but bands that could really like write a melody and really that had the songwriting chops always spoke to me. And that's why you guys always spoke to me because I felt like, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see the influences that are there, but you guys also are just amazing songwriters. Uh, fucking a. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, and that's how I am. Like, all right, well, I, I've kind of, I think have always had that melodic leaning where like my f- my favorite punk bands were always like Descendants and All and Misfits and Screeching Weasel and the Queers and like so I loved all I, I mean I love like all styles of punk and but I always had something for the catchy stuff so you know Rejects wasn't you know we we're never a punk band by any means but we weren't like a far leap as far as melodic catchy rock goes. Hey guys, this is Chris breaking into the action for a second. Don't worry, we'll get right back to my conversation with Mike, but I do need to tell you guys about Enjoy the Ride Records. Enjoy the Ride Records is an awesome record label whose specialty is reissues. They just released the band You, Me, and Everyone We Know, a bundle of both of their records, Party for the Grown and Sexy, and So Young, So Insane. Both are on limited edition color vinyl, and you can get both in a bundle for the holidays on sale right now. So go over to enjoytheriderecords.com and tell them that Chris from that one time on tour sent you. You, me, and everyone we know is a great band. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. If not, they uh, they did the Warp Tour. They toured with all the drive through Records bands. They toured with Say Anything. They're a wonderful band, and we're actually going to hear one of their songs right now. So this is You, Me, and Everyone We Know with Living the Dream. If this sounds good to you, head on over to enjoytheriderecords.com and pick it up. Yesterday I turned 23 The date didn't mean that much to me Then I started adding figures up in my head It seems the cost of dreaming's left me in the red Because of alcohol I've shared 16 beds There's a five-year reunion hanging over my head At least 11,000 people think I'm something I'm not The courage to let them down isn't something I still got
So, hey, speaking of the descendants, I saw that you went to the the big thing out there in Tulsa, right? Yeah. How was that? Because when they were in Indianapolis, I actually went down and hung out with Stefan and, and had him on the podcast. And he's just such an amazing guy. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure you know those guys as well. But how was it? I know they like all played and all the different singers were there. How was it? Oh, it's incredible. Because and I am a big nerd for all like I, I me too. I love love all of it. So that was uh, and, you know, and, and I've I love Descendants, but I've lamented that they've, you know, all has taken the back burner for it. And so, uh, yeah, I was super stoked. And like the Descendants show was amazing, of course. And then, you know, the next night they play this venue that's a quarter the size and just, man, the, the set they played too was incredible because they had Milo come out and start it and then they did and then Chad and then Scott. And it was like, I don't know, close to two hours. They played fucking like everything you could want to hear. Uh, and it was, it was incredible. And like, especially seeing, you know, the Chad era, that's was like my teenage years. Like that's when I saw them the most. And so to get to kind of have that again after so long, it was like, I felt like a kid again. It was, it was amazing. That's awesome, man. We, we, they did some all stuff in Indianapolis too, because Chad actually lives in Indiana now. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was really, really cool, man. I'm, I'm really glad I got to see some all stuff. Cause that's the thing, you know, you like the descendants and then you also enjoy all, but they don't ever do a lot of touring or playing or anything. That was, we talked about that a lot on Stefan's episode. Yeah. And it's like, I totally get it. You know, they, 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 you know, just that name difference in that one singer, like it's, you know, the difference between 1500 people and 250 people. Yeah, what what so they say, did you see, uh, the, the, the documentary filmage where they're like, you know, all was guilty of being guilty of being the band. That's not the descendants. Yeah. And it's, well, it's a shame. People miss out on some fucking great music. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. So we'll get back to, uh, get back to you, even though I, I like little <laughs> tangents like that though. Um, so you guys started really gaining steam in 2003 with the self-titled release. I remember when swing swing was, you couldn't escape it. I mean, it was everywhere. How was that transition from doing those you know, DIY kind of tours with a veil and CKY to, you know, that stuff happening to you guys. How was that? Um, it was crazy. Like it was, you know, we always had tempered expectations. So we were never, we were, we would, you know, it'd be awesome if stuff happened, but we never, I don't think fully expected the stuff that happened that did. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Cause we, in, in, when that song started taking off, we were at, in, the middle of another tour. I think we were second of four opening for, uh, homegrown and Ritalin kids. <laughs> and it was like halfway through that tour when the, the song started taking off. And it was, uh, I actually felt like shitty about it because it was this thing where we started seeing a lot of kids showing up for our set and then leaving. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, this kind of sucks. Like I felt really, the other bands were totally awesome and cool about it, but it was just like a very awkward, like weird thing. Like we just didn't expect it. You know, we're just like, oh, we're going on tour. Like we would, if we didn't have anything else happening, you know, with the song like that. And, uh, but it was amazing, obviously like more than we could have ever dreamed of ended up happening. And it was, it was an amazing journey. So, uh, I mean, was it very strange for you though? Like being all over MTV and just being, I, I mean, I just remember, you, I mean, I know you guys have the backstory and you've put in the work, but it just seemed like you came out of nowhere. I mean, how, how does that feel going from kind of almost, you know, somewhat obscurity to all of a sudden, I'm sure people were just going crazy wanting your autograph and pictures. I mean, how, how was that? I mean, it was, it was cool, you know, like can't complain. It was definitely, uh, I mean, it was, it was, you know, we'd all definitely put in our time over the years playing in various bands and, uh, and, you know, rejects, you know, it'd been a few years even before I joined the band. Uh, but it did feel like from when I joined to when all that started happening, it was very quick. Uh, but it was, you know, it, all I ever wanted was to be able to just live off of just playing. That's and what, that's I, what I always said too, as long, I mean, I never cared if I was Metallica, I wanted to be able to, for it to be a job and make my living playing my guitar. Yeah. And for that first like year or so we were in the band, like we all lived together in a, a duplex and it was like us and like our, uh, like two dudes who like toured with us. And so we squeezed into this little two bedroom duplex 
we, you know, had virtually no money, but it was enough to pay that rent. And, and that was awesome. We were so stoked. We're like, holy shit, we can just do this and we don't have to have a job right now. And we're poor, but it was, Hey, that was enough. (laughs) So what I want to talk about, which is you guys kind of avoided what I like to call and everybody else calls the sophomore slump, you know, (laughs) how, you know, um, your, your self-titled came out, certified platinum swing, swing was a huge, huge song. And then the second album move along comes out in 2005 and it goes triple platinum. Where did you guys think that you could get any higher? Cause I mean, you basically blew the roof off of the first record with the second record. No, I mean, we definitely got lucky and we're nervous cause you know, like swing, swing did well, but none of the other singles off that record did well. And, and, uh, so we're like, you know, we were all in that like, oh, well, maybe that's it. You know, like we had we got lucky and that was awesome. But, you know, that could be the end. And then we started working on Move Along and it was like a grind. Like we really worked long and hard writing and re- rehearsing that record. And uh, and then even when we recorded it. I don't know that like we felt like we had some really cool shit on there, but we didn't know if anyone else was super behind it. Um and it was it, we actually lucked out that um, at that point we had been on DreamWorks. Uh, DreamWorks had had bought the, uh, the first record from Doghouse, so we we're on DreamWorks, and then DreamWorks got bought out by Interscope. So suddenly we we're on Interscope, and uh, Jimmy Iovine, some reason like took a liking to us and was like our cheerleader over there. Wow. And, so, the, you know, when the president of the label is your cheerleader, that's not a fucking bad thing. And yeah. uh, the first thing was he was like, I want to make Dirty Little Secret the first single on Move Along. And we kind of weren't really feeling that. We we thought we wanted to do Move Along. We thought it was a better song. And he was like, no, no, this is the one. And so, you know, it's like, OK. And he did it and it wasn't working at all. Like that song was if if anybody else hadn't been the head of that label like that record would have never done anything but i think he was so like i think because he had been like no this is the single and we had we've been told these stories from people who worked the label they'd have these meetings where he'd be like yelling at the radio people going like this is a fucking hit song make it a fucking hit song and like he would fucking made them work until it took almost a year for that song to actually become a hit and uh, were there other singles released in that time? Because I remember there were a lot of like hit singles on that record. But so you're saying n- that Dirty Little Secret came out first. It didn't hit right away. So yeah. like, was it a slow climb until it did hit or were there other things released and then it hit again? No, it was just the slow climb. And we were like sweating it the whole time. We're like, you know, we went back to a van like we'd done like when when Swing Swing got big, we were lucky enough to do like a tour in a bus. Yeah. And then with Move Along, we're like, okay, we're back in the van. And uh and we're sweating it that whole time, being like, uh, oh, this isn't really working. Like, we you know, maybe we'll, maybe this is it for our like big mainstream success. And uh, but then it eventually he kept on pushing and it eventually took off. And then after that, like Move Along worked, and then it ends tonight worked, and it was just like we've super lucked out. I think but, that, I think that's crazy that he was just like, no, this is a hit single and I'm going to push this motherfucker until it happens. <laughs> yeah. So we were, we were very lucky to have him uh, behind us. Well, and the whole thing of, you know, the labels getting bought out and everything, a lot of the times, I mean, I know with the Ataris and with a lot of other bands that I talk to, whenever there's a shuffling at a label, normally that means the end because people come into the label that then weren't there when you were signed and don't care about you and you get lost in the shuffle. So the, mm-hmm. I, the idea that Jimmy was like, nah, these are my dudes. Like that's amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. But, so, uh, yeah. so what was the touring, like the change in the touring when you guys started hitting big? I mean, like you said, it was a bus, you know, was it just, it had to have been mind blowing that some of the places you guys were playing, some of the venues you were playing. Was that like maybe the first time you guys went overseas? Like, can you tell me a little bit about the touring cycle? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we did go overseas a bunch and, uh, we never, there wasn't a whole lot of success, especially that first record, first two records, we weren't especially huge overseas. So when we go overseas, it was like kind of back to the grind touring. Uh, but like in the States, yeah, we got to like do a bus and like, you know, we'd be playing like a thousand to two thousand seat places. And 
it was amazing. Like definitely more expected. And then when after move along, we actually like stepped up to like arenas for a minute and it was just like, that shit was crazy. Um, and we've since now we've done a few more arena tours, but we're always the opening band. We can't, we can't swing that ourselves anymore, (laughs) but, uh, it was just, yeah, it was, you know, always this learning process of like, you know, we don't know any of the intricacies of how to do that until we just did it and made mistakes along the way and learn from them. And, but, you know, we're always like, we're not like partier dudes. We're, you know, so we're always pretty humble, uh, chill guys when it came to touring and didn't, didn't, didn't try it. We never bought into our, our success. You know, we always were aware that even, even after the fourth hit song, we're like hey, this could end tomorrow and no one could give a shit. We can't, we can't act like we're going to be here forever. So let's appreciate yeah. it while we have it. Did any of the other guys stick around Oklahoma or did any of the, did they kind of go on to other places? Um, they've all since moved. Some of them took a while to get out, but I'm the only one who stayed, <laughs> but I love it here. I think it's great. I get to tour and see the world. It's nice oh, yeah. to be able to come back home. Well, that's the thing, man. I've lived all over the place and now I'm back pretty much in my hometown in Indiana and it's just a lot slower. You don't have to look for parking, but I can go, where, <laughs> I can go wherever I want. So it's, it's a nice place to come home to, which I'm sure Oklahoma is kind of the same way. Totally. So We're both I, fairly centralized, so that makes yeah. it easy to travel. Yeah, totally. So my question, this is kind of a, a unique, funny thing. So uh, back in the day, my family used to always vacation in Destin, Florida. And mm. my sister at one point was completely in love with Tyson. <laughs> so w- did he really have a place in Destin? Because she found out through some kind of online thing and like, one time when we were down there, she took me and we actually spent probably an entire day trying to find like where he lived in Destin. Was that a real thing? <laughs> that was, that is a real thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, after at some point, cause you know, I, I, for, especially for Nick and Tyson, like, you know, they just lived in this small town to where it's just their families and kind of them, like they were each other's best friends. And so after we kind of got out and started touring, it's like, there was nothing really keeping them much in Oklahoma. Yeah. And so that was where Tyson's like, I want to just move in somewhere. And I don't even remember how he found Destin. I, but I think he might even just been in like in a airplane magazine. Yeah. And, uh, he, uh, and he went and he fell in love with it. And yeah, he moved there. He lived there for a while. He's, he's since moved, but yeah, he was there for a few years. Well, that's, that's really funny. This was a long time ago too. And I just remember, I was like, what, what are we, what are we going to do if we find it? She's like, well, <laughs> she's like, you're in bands. You can talk to him. I'm like, yeah, but I can't just go up to his door and go, Hey dude, I'm in bands too. Let's hang out. So yeah, it, it was <laughs> a fun, funny. funny story that I thought I'd bring up for you, but, uh, okay. So, um, the next record in 2008, correct. Was, yeah. uh, when the world comes down. And that was certified gold. Do you feel like that was kind of because, you know, the industry changed and people weren't really buying like they used to buy? I mean, how did you guys? Oh, yeah. Because gold to anybody else would be a successful record. But did you guys feel like it was a success? It's funny because, yeah, that was that record's kind of the perfect illustration of the way the industry was changed and or collapsed because, we had our biggest song we've ever had on that record and sold, you know, a quarter of the records. Yeah. That's what I saw in the research I was doing. It's insane because the record was certified gold, but gives you hell was certified four times platinum. Yeah. That's crazy. crazy. Uh, yeah. So that was definitely when like iTunes was the thing and people were just buying songs and you know, all the CD sales were diminishing and, uh, so yeah, it was a very weird thing to like, be like, holy shit, we're on this high, like the biggest song we've ever had. And then you get those like reports and we're like, what the fuck? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but it's fine. It's just like, you gotta look at it in a different way. It's like, you know, well, people did buy a lot of single songs. Yeah. And if, if you equated that to take 10 of those and count them as a record, you know, it probably did sell close to what the other ones did. Well, I, I have, I have a, a fan question. I want to throw, I usually wait till the end, but this kind of goes in chronologically right now. So, uh, Sam from Minnesota wrote in and wanted to know how the writing process changed from, uh, 
when the world comes down to the next record, which were kids in the street, because I, there's a, there's quite a kind of an evolution in the two records. So he, he wanted to know what was the difference in the writing style or the writing process. Um, I, not really much difference. I think, I mean, with each record we've done, I don't know. We've never been a band that's felt like we're in a certain style. So it's just like whatever comes that's you can do whatever the, you want. Cause you guys yeah. aren't in a certain style. Yeah, that's great. And so I, I mean, I think, you know, kids in the street was just like another, I mean, it, it, we're one of those bands that every time I read like reviews when we put out a record, it was always the, this record sucks. Why can't they sound like the last record? And then by the time the next one comes out, it's the, this record sucks. Why can't they sound like the last record? I'm like, everyone yeah. hated the last record, <laughs> but it's so I think that's kind of where we've, we've never, I guess, duplicated ourselves, which is just fun for us. And I guess kids in the street was like, just further that. Um, and I mean, I, I think maybe something more that contributed to that record being different was the way we recorded it, which was instead of just going in like normal and, knocking out all the drums and then, all right, move on to guitars. We did every song one at a time. So it's like, Oh really? Right, this, yeah. So like so the drums, like, like maybe the drum tones were a little bit different on each track or the guitar tones. Yeah, totally. So like we totally every, every song start from scratch. We'll do something new, something different and, and have that idea of like, you know, we did this on the last one. What are, let's not do that for this song. What can we do differently? That's so awesome. I, I think that helped with that one. And that was fun. And I, and it's cool. Cause I feel like, I mean, that record didn't have like a hit on it, but I feel like the people who listen to it seem to appreciate that record the most of all of them. So that's kind of cool. So I'm going to go ahead and get to my, my, I have one other fan question. I figure we'll get it out of the way right now. Uh, Joey from Florida wants to know what your favorite song is to perform live. Um, honestly, any of the ones that like get kids going, like, yeah. so like, because like people will ask if I ever get sick of playing, you know, swing, swing. And I'm like, no, because kids jump up and down and go crazy for that. Like, that's what I love when playing is like to get that reciprocation of energy. I totally understand. One question that I always got, like, man, didn't you get sick of playing Boys of Summer? I'm like, no, <laughs> like I would never get sick of playing that song. I mean, it's a, every, every time we played that, the crowd went insane because a lot of people, that's the only song they knew from us. Mm-hmm. yeah that it's yeah it's fucking great like yeah because it's funny because some of the other guys in the band want to do some of the more like obscure songs for them and for me it's like when we play those and it's kind of the like show killer i'm like ah no i'd rather i'd rather play the one we played a million times just because that keeps like the excitement up i guess that that's another question that i have then when you guys are like you know you're this far into your career now how do you pick a set list? Um, well, it's, it, it's very easy that we have to play the five big ones. Yeah. So that, <laughs> that's, that makes that easy. And then there's like a couple others that are sort of like half hits. So you get those. So that's pretty much half the set there. And then, uh, and then the rest, it is kind of just like feeling out, you know, a mix of what we want to play. That's fun for us versus, you know, how, even if it's not a hit song that people know how it kind of affects the crowd and works with the other songs. And, uh, we've kind of fallen this, you know, the past couple of years, we don't, we haven't like toured a whole lot. We kind of just do one-offs and stuff. And so we've fallen into a little bit of a routine of like, all right, we found a pretty good set and we haven't deviated a whole lot from it. But, uh, I don't know. It's just, yeah, we, I think over time we've realized, you know, find that balance of, what keeps it fun and fresh for us for, and what also keeps the show moving and exciting for the crowd. Do you guys uh, ever play any covers live? I I was on YouTube and I was kind of looking up some research stuff when I was going to talk to you. And I saw that uh, Tyson was doing a song with Bon Jovi or something back in like 2007. Yeah. He he was on there unplugged, which is pretty amazing. Well, uh, I, I just wondered, like, because, you know, when I was in the Ataris, we did some Misfit stuff and we did, you know, some Black Flag stuff, just as little goofy things at the end of the of the shows. Like, do you get did you guys ever do anything like that? You know, it's funny because we we all have such like different tastes in music to get us all to agree on a song is tough. And then we're also such like uh, overthinkers, I guess, in terms of playing that for us to do something off the cuff 
we're, we're not comfortable. <laughs> like okay. we all like, we like to be very rehearsed. So we've rarely done it. And when we have actually, and then taken the time, it's been like our fans don't get it. You know, like I mean, we, it's probably us not picking the right song, Yeah. but when we've done it, we've done songs that we like, and then, then the kids don't know it. And then it's like, well, Oh, that went over terribly. <laughs> Let's not do that again. <laughs> So I, I wanted to ask you, I saw uh, on the band's Instagram that you guys recently did like this big direct TV special where you guys played live for like the mm-hmm. audience network. How was that? Did you guys enjoy doing that? Yeah, that was awesome. It was kind of like an unexpected thing to get asked to do. Uh, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. We got to we had a new song that we'd been working on. So that was like the first time we haven't released it like a recording of it yet. So that's the first time people have like gotten a chance to hear it. And, uh, and it was just a blast. Like it was super comfortable. And, uh, usually like when we do TV stuff, maybe, I don't know, usually there's like a lot of nervousness, but something about that one, it was like super comfortable. Maybe because I'm never, it wasn't I'm never a fan. Of, I'm never a fan of the makeup cause I have a shaved head. So they have to like take uh, makeup <laughs> all over my head. <laughs> totally. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, I don't, I usually, I have like enough stubble and long hair that I can get away with like, eh, I don't yeah. really need it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Like my face is covered most of the time anyway, but, uh, but yeah, it was great. And, and that's one of those things where it's like, you know, when we do like a, like a late night show. It's like, you get that one take and unless something really fucks up, they don't let you try it again. And not that we even did multiple takes on that thing, but there was that ease of knowing like, Oh, this is, this is easy. This is just chill. And, uh, and so it's a lot of fun. It was like something we hadn't gotten to do in like quite a few years. So how, how was the process? Like, did, uh, the people at the audience network or like the big wig guys that make the decisions Did they contact your manager? Like, did you know, like, are they fans of you guys? Because like, like you said, you guys don't tour a lot right now. I know you guys released an EP in 2017, but you know, you're active, but you're not maybe as active as you used to be. So, you know, you just said it was kind of a surprise to get asked. Like, do you know why you guys were asked? Uh, I, I don't. I just kind of, I heard about it when the offer came in. I don't even remember from where it did, but I mean, it's cool. I, I feel like we've been getting, we've been doing a ton of shows at colleges the past few years. And I think we're in this like interesting window where we're kind of the first wave of nostalgia for kids in their early twenties. I gotcha. Yeah. And so I think we've been, we've been kind of having a cool little like resurgence in that respect with those, that kind of age group. And so, uh, it's been cool. Yeah. I tell you, the one thing I always really loved about playing the college shows is that the writer was always filled to, to the letter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah, we used to put crazy stuff on the rider and you'd never get it, but then you'd play a college show and they don't know any better. So they would just get anything <laughs> you put on the rider. <laughs> totally. That's awesome. Okay. So, uh, I've got a couple more questions for you, man. So the thing that was really cool for me and I, I mean, I don't know if you put any stock into this or not, but you guys are number 183 on Billboard, Billboard's Artists of the Decade of the 2000s. That's that's kind of cool. I mean, do you do you guys put stock in anything like that or like awards or anything? Um, that's cool. I I had not I was not aware of that until you telling me that. Yeah, number 183 <laughs> artist of the decade. That's insane. Uh, yeah, that's cool. Like uh. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like always appreciated with them. You can tell, like, you can tell your grandkids that, Hey, in, in the two thousands, I was number one eighty three. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you know, that kind of stuff is always like cool. Like it's, it's again, one of those things where it's like, we never expect no. anything. So when we get it, we're like, Oh, fucking a man. And then we continue on with what we're doing. I know. Cause we're always one of those bands too, that like, Unlike a lot of our kind of contemporary bands, we were never like what what people call a lifestyle band. Yeah. Like kids never wanted to dress like us or be us. We were always like a song band. And it's kind of been probably maybe one of our like biggest hindrances as a band is that so many people know our songs but don't know who sings them. And uh Dude, I tell this on I've told this on the podcast so many times. Okay, so Speaking of the Destin area, we were talking about that. I moved a few years back down to Gulf Shores, Alabama to work for the Hangout Music Festival. And oh. when, I, when I moved down there, I met this guy at a bar. I was trying to like make friends. 
And he's like, what do you, what did you used to do for a living? And I was like, oh, I was in a band. And then like his cell phone rang and his, his ringtone was boys of summer by the Ataris. <laughs> that's and, awesome. And, well, and here's, here's the kicker. I'm like, well, that's my band. He's like, no, no, that's some 41. Like the, <laughs> oh, the song got so much bigger than the band that, I mean, I'm not, it wasn't our song anyway. It was Don Henley's song, but it got so much bigger than the band that people all around the world know that song. And when it comes on, they rock out, but they have no idea who the hell did it. Yeah. So you guys totally in the same boat as us. Like, yeah. And I can totally see that because like, I mean, I always loved your band. I love those songs. I'm a music geek. I know who did them, but that's one thing I think, you know, you and I both being kind of punk rock guys, it's kind of, kind of hard to take as your success level gets bigger, different types of people get into your band and maybe they're more casual, you know? Mm-hmm. like the casual listener where maybe they don't know the name of your band or they don't know another song by your band. So was that ever kind of hard for you guys? Um, it was just, it, it became frustrating and only in the sense of the music industry bullshit. Cause like when we do a new single, like, you know, when other bands and artists, you know, have had success and they put out something new, like radio was instantly be like, Oh, they got a new song. Let's play it. Yeah. But for us, it was never that they would every time have to treat us like a new band. And it was just this grind of like having to go do the process over and over again, being like, like, it's like, they just never believed people gave a shit to keep coming back to us. So, I mean, it made us work hard and that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but that was the only time where that kind of like the fact that we weren't didn't have the identity set in people's minds was kind of a hindrance and kind of like made it like, ah, oh, fuck, <laughs> dude, just play our song. It's a good song. We swear <laughs> people will like it. You don't We don't need to do this whole grind again. But do you guys have like the secret for staying together and not having like a million lineup changes? Because I'll tell you right now, like I was like the fifth guitarist for the Ataris. <laughs> you know, I. I think it's, we just know, I think it helps that none of us are, you know, crazy partiers or there's, there's not that kind of drama within our band of like just excess and like falling apart. And I think we've all just been very like, you know, we come from Oklahoma, so we're just kind of like normal dudes. And, you know, not to say that we haven't had, you know, have fights, you know, you do with anyone you spend that much time with, but yeah, we always know, like, I think we know when to throttle it and when to like, there's no need to push things a certain to a certain degree that things could fall apart. So we've always been conscious of that and just, you know, no one to give each other space, no one to chill out. And well, that's cool, man. Yeah. So it's, it's worked for us. So what I'd like to talk about now, I would really like to know, I know you have, you have a recording studio and I saw that you've worked with like mask intruder and direct hit and red city radio. Like, Tell me, tell me about that. Like, how did that come about myself? You know, I used to own a recording studio. I don't any longer, but that was always my, you know, way to be expressive when I wasn't in my band. So is that kind of the same for you? Yeah, totally. I, I, I love it. Love it to death. Uh, cause it's like with the rejects, uh, we've got like these two amazing songwriters that like, I am constantly, who are constantly like, 12 steps ahead of me. So like whenever we're working, it's like, I'm just like in learning mode and it's amazing. Like, I love it. So then when I get to do like the producing stuff, that's where I can like apply a lot of the things I learned from those guys. And, uh, so it's a really fun thing. And that it came about like, um, uh, I actually, this is like one of the luckiest things and like totally skipping ahead of most, people who do engineering and producing was uh, when in like the mid two thousands alternative press used to have like a thing in the magazine where they'd, it was called like idol worship and they'd have someone from a newer band interview someone from an older band that they loved. And they, yeah. And so they asked me to interview Ben Weasel. Wow. And yeah. So, and that was when he was like, especially like, you know, no one knew where he was. Like he was kind of like disappeared for a while. And, uh, and so I was like, fuck yes. Like that would be amazing. And I had just kind of started getting into like, I'd gotten a pro tools rig on my laptop to do like demoing and stuff. I had an inbox, you know, it's those days. And, uh, and so I did this interview and he was awesome and it went great. And I had asked him, you know, like what he was up to writing wise. Cause he hadn't done anything in a f- 
since his like he had his first solo record and there had been like the third Riverdale's record, but it had been like a few years since he'd done anything else. And uh, and he's like, oh, you know, I have a bunch of demos and he's and he's like, I'll send them to you. And so he sent them to me and they were just like, you know, just him singing and strumming. And uh, and so I just made the bold thing of like I took a couple of them and just created my own full arrangement demo, like wow. program drums. And I was like, hey, if you would let me produce a record for you, this is what I would do. And I sent him back and he was like, cool, let's do it. And so the first thing I ever recorded and produced was the, uh, Ben Weasel's second solo record. That's crazy. Did you do it in Tulsa or did you travel? Um, I did it. Well, I no, live in not Oklahoma Tulsa. City. Not, yeah, not yeah. Tulsa. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. Uh, that I did. I had worked. Um, there's a, a producer named Matt Squire. Yeah, who, yeah. Yeah, he's like gone on now to do crazy huge stuff. He um, at the time, me and the drummer of the Rejects, Chris, he had uh, we had done like a little side band and recorded our EP with Matt. And uh, I was talking to him about it and he was like, hey, I'm going to be gone doing a record when you're doing that. He's like, you can just come use my studio. Wow. And so, yeah, so me and Chris, because Chris played drums on it, uh, we went up to Maryland to that studio Spent like a few weeks there just recording all the uh, guitars because I play guitar on that record too. did all the guitars and drums. And then I flew to Madison where Ben lives to record his vocals. Dan from Alkaline Trio played bass. He just recorded that himself. Wow. And so and then I compiled it all together in Oklahoma and added the last little flourishes there. So it's kind of like you, you figured out a way to play on one of your heroes records. Yeah. Totally. I totally just like pushed my way in, but it was, (laughs) that's crazy, man. So, uh, what's like the most recent thing that you've done at your studio currently? Um, just, well, the newest direct hit record, uh, crown of nothing that just came out like a month ago. Uh, that's, that's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm recording some other bands right now that are like from Oklahoma, like old friends. So that's actually been like kind of a fun thing. But uh, next is going to be that's going to be released is uh, the new Master Intruder record, which I think is coming out sometime early next year. Yeah. So just trying to keep busy with it. (laughs) That's awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, uh, what do you guys have coming up here in the future? Because like that's I've had you on the phone for long enough. I know you're a busy guy, but I would like to know what the rejects have coming up in the future. And uh, if there's any place that people can come see you guys on the road or anything like that. Um, yeah, well, you know, we don't have much as far as shows planned right now, but there'll be some, we're done for the year, but you know, we'll, we'll start playing some more next year. And, uh, I think we're going to release a single, another single pretty soon. Like kind of like we did last year, just doing like an EP. Um, and so, yeah, that'll probably be sometime early next year. Um, yeah, I don't have too much concrete stuff, but yeah, new song. If you want to hear the song live, you can watch that audience network thing. We play it on there. And I uh, expect a couple more songs and a bunch of shows. That's cool, man. Uh, how can people find you on the internet? What are your socials? Oh, uh, at Mike AAR on Twitter and Instagram. Um, that's it. I've never had a Facebook, but there was a fake Facebook of me for a while. So if you ever talked to me on Facebook, that wasn't me. And okay. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to you on, I talked to you on Instagram, so I'm safe. Yeah, exactly. Well, Hey man, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and, uh, I would love it next year when you guys have some new stuff out, if you want to come back and maybe talk a little bit about it. Oh yeah, totally, man. Thanks for having me. Oh dude, it's been, it's been a, it's been my pleasure. So, uh, I'll talk to you in the future and, uh, you guys have a great holiday and tell the dudes I said, what's up and I'll talk to you later, man. Thanks man. You too. Bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Mike Kennerty from the All-American Rejects. Make sure to check out their DirecTV Audience Network live special. I'm pretty sure it's on demand if you have DirecTV. And if not, like me, I have cable. Uh, You can probably check it out on YouTube. So check that out. They play a new song. And um, I can't wait to have Mike back when they have some new music out. So big ups to Mike. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, man. And uh, yeah, I'm stoked to be back. Thank you guys so much for caring. Once again, thank you for the well wishes and all the calls and emails from my daughter. She's doing awesome. And I'm going to try to get the show back on schedule. It's kind of weird when you've been on like a set schedule doing an episode every week for eight, nine months, and then you take three weeks off. It's, it's, it's hard to get back into it, but I've got some good guests coming up, um, for the end of the year. I've got some great guests coming up next year, some insane guests. So thank you once again for coming back week in and week out. 
Uh, it really means a lot to me. Like I said before, I found like a new community doing this podcast and you guys are great. So thank you once again. I'd forgot in the beginning my intro because I'm kind of rusty at this, but I do need to tell you guys about Muncie Music Center. It's the store that I work at here in Muncie, Indiana. It's at 600 South Mulberry Street. You can also check them out at MuncieMusic.com. They're a great store. They have everything that you need. You know, if you're a band on tour and you, you know, like Carusco, the band that sponsored this episode, they're coming to Muncie in January on tour. And if they need strings or anything, they can go right to Muncie Music Center and pick it up. So check them out, MuncieMusic.com. Please make sure that you are following us on all the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT Podcast. If you're on, you know, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or anything like that, please leave us a review, preferably five stars. It really helps the show grow. And uh, that would be amazing if you guys would do that. So I'm going to get out of here now. It's late and I'm rambling as I always do. I'm going to play an All-American Rejects song that I really like. It's probably my favorite out of the singles. Um, I was going to play a deep cut, but I figured I would go ahead and play a single. But uh, yeah, I'm going to play Move Along. It, uh, It was one of their biggest songs that they ever had. So Here it is. Move along by the All-American Rejects. I love you guys. I'll see you next week. Chris out.
It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast for the first time in your miserable life? I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out? And stop listening to other podcasts.